We are in 1 Kings chapter 13, uh, continue on to, in our Sunday night Bible study. Now, uh, we left off with the division of the kings of Israel. If you remember, uh, Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He brought in uh, foreign gods and began worshiping. And as a result of that, uh, God took away uh, 10 of the tribes of Israel from his reign And so the southern kingdom, which was Judah and Benjamin, and they're just usually referred to as Judah, uh, was ruled by Solomon's son, Rehoboam. And the northern kingdom, the other 10 tribes, would be ruled by Jeroboam. Now, I'm working on a little chart uh, that I'll hopefully have for you next week, which will be a handout of like the kings laid out because it gets a little confusing. But with that chart, I'm working on where the different prophets uh, are in, in accordance because our, our Bibles are not completely in chronological order. They're, they're put together in a little different order. So... With that, today we're in chapter 13, and we left off with Jeroboam also sinning. Now, Jeroboam, last week as we ended that chapter, he was concerned about Israel, the northern ten tribes, going down to the temple to worship God in Judah. And he was afraid that they would defect or something, and he would lose his kingdom. So he erected on a high place an altar to the Lord, and he built these uh, this, these wooden calves to worship. Now, it was questionable whether he was building a, 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 an idol uh, of a calf or if, if it was just a false form, uh, a gold calf, sorry, uh, a false form of worship of the true God. And I think it was probably the latter, that he was making an image for them to worship the true God, and you'll see why uh, today. So with that said, let's go ahead and get into chapter 13, verse 1. We're picking back up with Jeroboam. And behold, oh, by the way, 13, hold on, let me just say this real fast. This is a super weird chapter, okay, just so you guys know. If you're like, this is weird, uh, I'm saying the same thing, okay? All right, good, we're good. All right, 13, verse 1. And behold, a man of God went from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord. And Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. Then he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, oh, altar, altar, Thus says the Lord, behold, a child, Josiah by name, shall be born to the house of David, and on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, and men's bones shall be burned on you. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, this is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Surely the altar shall split apart, and the ashes on it shall be poured out. So it came to pass when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God who cried out against the altar in Bethel that he stretched out his hand from the altar saying, arrest him. Then his hand, which he stretched out toward him, withered so that he could not pull it back to himself. The altar also was split apart and the ashes poured out from the altar according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. Then the king answered and said to the man of God, Please entreat the favor of the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored to me. We're going to stop there for a moment. First of all, let's talk about this unnamed prophet of God. We just know him as the man of God. And I just want to say this, first and foremost, you don't need to be famous or have a name to be used by God. 
Uh, a lot of times we think that we're just unknown to God or we can't be used by God because who am I? Well, God knows right who you, exactly who you are, and he's ready to use you. So I just want to say that right out of the gate. But with that said, we have this, uh, well, Jeroboam is worshiping on this uh, altar that he should not be worshiping on. God sends a prophet from Judah, uh, this southern kingdom, to deliver this message about Jeroboam's wickedness. Now, if you remember, remember in chapter 11, Jeroboam was told by the prophet of God, Ahijah, Ahijah that, that if he was faithful to God, God would establish his throne. And he would never have to worry about it. God would establish all of his children and bless Jeroboam. Well, Jeroboam did not do that. And so now God has sent this prophet from Judah. Now, why didn't he send a prophet from Israel, from the northern kingdom? Well, it very well could be that there were no legitimate prophets available, no prophets that were faithful to the Lord God. We're going to see in this chapter, there's this prophet there, but he doesn't exactly, he's not exactly what you'd say, the most upstanding, reputable character. So we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But the Jeroboam, so this prophet of God is sent from, uh, from the southern kingdom to deliver this message. What is the message? Well, the message is that you're going to be destroyed. Now, that, that prophecy is going to come to pass 300 plus years later. Uh, in fact, actually in 2 Kings 23, 15 through 16, 2 Kings 23, 15 through 16, we read, moreover, the altar that was at Bethel, Bethel and the high place which Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, who made Israel sin, had made, both that altar and the high place he broke down, and he burned the high place and crushed it to powder, and he burned the wooden image. As Josiah turned, he saw the tombs that were there on the mountain, and he sent and took the bones out of the tombs, and he burned them on the altar and defiled it according to the word of the Lord, which the man of God proclaimed, who proclaimed these. So this happened some 300 plus years after Jeroboam, uh, it, after his reign. Now, uh, well, wait a minute. Isn't this against Jeroboam? Well, the prophet wants to make sure that he understands that this will come to pass just like God said it would. So he's going to give him a sign this very day that it will come to pass. And look at the sign. The sign is that, that, the, uh, that the, the <clears throat> surely the altar will split apart and ashes on it shall be poured out. So then when Jeroboam heard this, his first reaction was arrest him, and look at what happened. His hand, it, stre- it withered so that he could not pull it back to himself. The altar also split apart, and the ashes poured out from the altar according to the sign which the man of God had given. All this was to say, Jeroboam, this prophecy that God has sent me to deliver to you, it will come to pass. Because otherwise, what would happen? Well, people would say, well, yeah, there is a prophet who said that Josiah, so this coming Josiah, is going to destroy this altar. Uh, but you know what? It never came to pass. He was a false prophet. So the prophet gives this sign as evidence that this would happen. But notice Jeroboam's response. When his hand withers, what does he do? He, he cries out. He entreats the favor of the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored. Now, it might be tempting to think that Jeroboam here is trying to uh, repent of his behavior, but he's not. He just wants his hand fixed. And I, wa- I want to point this out. 
that just because God's about to fix his hand does not mean that he has God's favor. A lot of times God will grant uh, favor to someone, not because he's showing that they're blessed by God or God's approval of it, but just because he does so to show his kindness. And, and as, as such, when we see that man is continually rejecting God, yet, that, yet he runs to God in the day of trouble, it doesn't mean that now all of a sudden God's in approval of your sin. No, that sin is coming, and even more so, you'll be judged for the rejection of, of God's message. So it says, so the man of God entreated the Lord, and the king's hand was restored to him, and came as before. Then the king said to the man of God, come home with me and refresh yourself, and I will give you a reward. But the man of God said to the king, if you were to give me half your house, I would not go in with you, nor would I eat bread nor drink water in this place, for so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, you shall not eat bread nor drink water, nor return by the same way you came. So he went another way and did not return by the way he came to Bethel. So the king offers him, come home uh, with me, eat with me, then you can go back. What I want you to pay attention here, because we're about to get into the weird part of this chapter, is what the word of the Lord was to the prophet regarding this. And I'm going to read it one more time. But the man of God said to the king, if you were to give me half your house, I would not go with you, nor would I eat bread nor drink water in this place. Here's the word of the Lord. For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, you shall not eat bread, nor drink water, nor return by the same way you came. Okay? That's the word of the Lord. God said to this prophet, this unnamed prophet, I want you to go deliver this message. You're going to tell Jeroboam about his wickedness. You're going to help him understand the judgment that is coming upon you. Now, a part of the reason for God telling uh, about forecoming judgment is that we might actually respond in repentance. Just consider for a moment Jonah the prophet as he, as he went through Nineveh. Uh, the Ninevites were a wicked, awful people, certainly deserving of death and judgment. When you read about the Ninevites and how evil they were, it's hard to say God don't judge. In fact, often even today as we see evil in the world, we, we, our hearts, our souls cry out, Lord, how long until you judge this kind of evil? Because we see how wicked it is. But when God sent Jonah to the Ninevites, Jonah didn't even try to evangelize them. Jonah wasn't even like, hey guys, come on, change your ways. No, he just walked through and was like, 40 days, you're dead. 40 days, you're dead. And, and I, can, I can even imagine Jonah like somewhat with a smile on their face. <laughs> you guys are gone. And by the way, Jonah was a total freak show when he showed up in Nineveh. He'd been in the belly of a great fish, the Bible says, or a well, for those three days and three nights. So he must have looked something crazy, walking through Nineveh, you're dead, you're dead. But Nineveh all responded with repentance, and God spared Nineveh. And so anytime God warns of coming judgment, we shouldn't say, well, that's far off, or it hasn't happened yet. So let's continue and be uh, live just like we've been living and eat, drink, be merry, because that's so far off it hasn't happened. And I'll tell you, God has told us what the future holds. He's told us about the end of days and the things that will come. And even if you live, even if the Lord tarries and, and you die before his return and judgment, 
you still have judgment coming. And, and now is the opportunity for you. Today is the day that you can actually turn from sin and repent of sin and avoid judgment in the future. Well, anyway, the prophet's told not to eat any bread nor drink any water nor return the same way. Verse 11, now we're going to get a little weird. Now, an old prophet dwelt, dwelt in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. And, and we can kind of see that in a movie. It would make a great movie, wouldn't it? That this prophet showing up while Jeroboam's doing his thing, and all of a sudden he pronounces this thing, and Jeroboam goes to stop him, and his hand withers, and the altar splits apart and all that. It would be, be a cool scene for a movie. Anyway, so the sons told this old prophet all that God had done. They also told their father the words which he had spoken to the king. And their father said to them, which way did he go? For his sons had seen which way the man of God went who came from Judah. Then he said to his son, saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey for him and he rode on it. And he went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. Then he said to him, are you the man of God who came from Judah? He said, I am. Then he said to him, come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I cannot return with you, nor go in with you, neither can I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place, for I have been told by the word of the Lord, you shall not eat bread nor drink water there, nor return by going the way you came. He said to him, I too am a prophet as you are, and an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, bring him back with you to your house that he may eat and drink water. He was lying. So he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. Now it happened as they sat at the table that the word of the Lord came to the prophet who has brought him back and cried out to the man of God who came from Judah saying, thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the commandment which the Lord your God commanded you, but you came back, ate bread, and drank water in the place of which the Lord said to you, eat no bread and drink no water. Your corpse shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. So it was after he had eaten bread and after he had drank, drunk that he saddled the donkey for him, the, the prophet whom he had brought back. When he was gone, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his corpse was thrown on the road, and the donkey stood by it, the lion also stood by the corpse. And there men passed by and saw the corpse thrown on the road and the lion standing by the corpse. Then they went and told it in the city where the old prophet dwelt. This is a trip. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. It's so weird and it's so foreign to us, this idea that this prophet of God is guilty in this way, yet the guy who lied, it just... Stands without guilt. Like, what, what about that? What about that prophet who was a deceitful prophet? I mean, shouldn't there be some judgment for him? Well, let's, let's look into this a little bit. God had specifically told the, his prophet what to speak and what to do. And the prophet decided that he would listen to another message. He would listen to someone else. 2 Corinthians Chapter 11, verse 13 and 14, Paul writes, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. 
So Paul is, is dealing with these false apostles that are trying to lead the Corinthian church astray, and he just references this idea that Satan himself can, can look like an angel of light. He doesn't necessarily look like this evil doer. And unfortunately, when people see what they want to see and hear what they want to hear, then they go, sounds great, let's do that. And they, they reject the word of God. And so Paul kind of talks to the Corinthians about this. And so I don't know if, if the old man who's a prophet, the liar, the ungodly one, actually saw an angel, it's possible, or maybe he just made up this lie to trick the man of God. We, we don't know. We're not sure if, if he, he actually did see an angel or not. But here's what we do know. Romans chapter 3, verse 4, Paul uh, is teaching the church here in Rome a, a wonderful truth, and he sums, up, sums it up very well. So that's why we chose this for, certainly not, indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. The, the point I want to, the part I want you to really look at, because it's a great summary of man and God, is let God be true and every man a liar. That this is how we should conduct ourselves when it comes to God's word. If God's word says something, God means it, it's true. Even if other men, pastors, teachers, people we like, neighbors, tell us something opposite of that, we should not all of a sudden go, oh, oh, you know what? I like what they're saying. Let's go that direction. I'll tell you right now, within the church today, we're seeing a lot of false teachers rise up. There's, uh, there's all sorts of books being authored with false truths twisting the word of God to say what people's itching ears want to hear about immoral uh, activities and, and the culture and everything like that. So listen, let God be true and every man a liar. Don't believe everything you read. I'll, I'll, it, you're, you're making a huge mistake if all of a sudden you go, well, I really like the way that, that author kind of interprets the scripture. There's so many lies out there regarding, and you know what they all do? I'll tell you right now, and, and I hate this. Look, the Hebrew says this. The Greek says this. And, and what we do as Americans, because, I don't know, we've been taught, like, unless a pastor says, in the Hebrew, in the Greek, he doesn't know what he's talking about. We as Americans go, oh, in the Hebrew it says it. Okay, I'm going to buy into this falsehood. Versus, and I'll tell you right now, your English translations are excellent. We have great English. Well, which English translation? Pick one. You have tons to pick from that are excellent translations. Uh, the NKJV, the ESV, the KJV, the CSB, the, uh, it goes on and on. The NIV, the, yeah, the NIV is a good translation. Uh, I, I know it's not on the same level of like the ESV and those other translations, but it's a good translation. Uh, these translations are good translations of the Word of God. And, and you can trust those, those translators have done a fabulous job. Uh, I've read uh, multiple translations, and it's just wonderful. Um, versus those who don't even have one whole translation of the Bible. We have a plethora of translations. And I love the fact that we argue about which is the best translation. Uh, so we have wonderful English translations. Most of the time as a pastor, when I look at Greek or Hebrew, it's just to understand a little more insight into it. But almost never does it actually change 
what the translation is saying. It's just to give me some helpful insight. So uh, don't believe these people that lie. Well, let God be true and every man a liar. Uh, but, but isn't this a little bit harsh for the man of God that he would just be killed? 1 Peter 4.17, Peter writes, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And Peter here is saying there's a greater accountability that starts in the house of God. And a part of that is when, when it comes to that great accountability in the house of God, how much more will those who don't obey God, how much more righteous is the judgment that will happen against those who are disobedient to God? So when it comes to God's prophets, God expects his people to listen to his word. Now, was the old prophet right in what he did? No, he lied. He was deceitful. But it doesn't change the fact that the man of God chose to reject the word of God and do what he wanted to do. And as a, as a result of this, the man of God actually becomes a testament to all of northern Israel uh, that, that God's judgment will come on those who reject the word of God. Just think about it. If you're walking down a road and you see a donkey, a corpse, and a lion sitting there, won't you be like, that's strange? You know, and, and, and words going around about the donkey, the corpse, and the lion. And, and the lion's just sitting there, not eating the donkey, not eating the corpse. What, the world? Yeah, the, the whole point is that everybody in Israel would start knowing that, hey, this man of God come. Well, why did he come? Well, he told Jeroboam this prophecy against where they were worshiping, and, and then he disobeyed God, and now you have the lion and the donkey and the corpse laying in the middle of the road. Well, look at verse 26. Now, when the prophet who had brought him back from the way heard it, he said, it is the man of God who is disobedient to the word of the Lord. Therefore, the Lord has delivered him to the lion, which has torn him and killed him according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to him. And he spoke to his son saying, saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled it. Then he went and found his corpse thrown on the road and the donkey and the lion standing by the corpse the lion had not eaten the corpse nor torn the donkey, and the prophet took up the corpse of the man of God, laid it on the donkey, and brought it back. So the old prophet came to the city to mourn and to bury him. Then he laid the corpse in his own tomb, and they mourned over him, saying, Alas, my brother, so it was after he had buried him, that he spoke to his son, saying, When I am dead, then bury me in the tomb where the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the saying which he cried out by the word of the Lord against the altar at Bethel and against all the shrines on the high places which are in the cities of Samaria will surely come to pass. Like I said, it's a strange chapter. It's strange that this, this old prophet who's not ungodly, who lies, goes and picks up the corpse with the lion and the donkey. And then he says to his sons, Okay, listen, I'm going to die before this happens. You're going to lay me in the, in, in the, the tomb with, with this prophet, with his bones, and this prophecy will surely come true, what has happened. It was another testimony to the fact that God was going to do what he said he's going to do. 
It's a strange story. But now we're in 1 Kings and 2 Kings, and we're getting to a lot of the really interesting parts of Kings, and we're going to see some great stories in in, uh, Kings as we go through it. But I I do want to say this. It's important that we listen to the Word of God. I, I think sometimes we're too quick to write off how serious God is about his word. Sometimes we, we think that, oh, certainly this isn't a big deal. Certainly this isn't a big sin. Certainly this little bit of rebellion, God's not going to care that much about. And maybe it's because your parents treated it that way. I'm certainly grateful that my parents didn't nail me for every single thing I ever did. But, but maybe it's because your parents have taken an attitude with certain things that, oh, well, that's not that big of a deal. Uh, but that's a bigger deal. And, and even within our, our households that we grow up in, or maybe even in your own household, you justify certain things that are rebellious, but, but absolutely say no to other things. And so we, we set the standard that God's word is mostly always true. That's wrong. It's a wrong heart. It's, it's a totally wrong attitude. Let God be true and every man a liar. God is serious about his word. But pastor, what, what, what's so wrong with having lunch? He just wanted bread and water. What's so wrong with that? The fact that God told him not to do it. God told him, don't do this. You're going to do this. And because he did it, he paid a heavy price for it. So I want to encourage you, take the word of God seriously. Don't just think that God doesn't Uh, won't really fulfill what he says he's going to do. Don't think that your sin is of no consequence to God, that it's no big deal. Uh, When you're rebellious towards God, you should fear God and fear his word. And I think this is one of those stories, if you were leaving here tonight and turning onto the street and you saw a donkey and a lion and a corpse in the middle of the road, you would be like, what? (laughs) I I don't think you you would be like, that's a normal thing to see. You know, I think it would get your attention, and, and uh, man, how, how terrible looking that must have been. And so we need to think about the donkey, the lion, and the corpse, and think, hey, I need to be obedient to God's word. All right, verse 33, after this event, Jeroboam, look at this, did not turn from his evil way, but again, he made priests from every class of people for the high places. Whoever wished, he he consecrated him, and he became one of the priests, of the, and he became one of the priests of the high places. And this thing was the sin of the house of Jeroboam, so as to exterminate and destroy it from the face of the earth. Jeroboam does not turn from his evil way. So not only is all of Israel heard, probably heard at this point in time, all the ten tribes about the donkey, the the corpse, and the lion, and the road, and the man of God. But more than that, even though Jeroboam saw the altar split and the ashes fall out, his hand withered and God heal it, he still has not turned from his ways and he's, he's raising up priests from anyone. Remember, priests are only supposed to be from Levites. He doesn't have any of the Levites because he chased them all out of town. And uh, so he's just making Levites forever. They're worshiping in the high places. And uh, we see that he himself made himself uh, a Uh, priest. This is a terrible failure on the part of Jeroboam. In fact, we're going to see this phrase come up throughout the book of 1 Kings when it comes to the northern tribes of Israel. 
It, we're going to see it say, he did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of Jeroboam and in his sin by which he made Israel sin. That, that phrase is going to be used over and over for the kings of the northern kingdom. Uh, he did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of Jeroboam. That's, we're going to see that come up. Now, that's not a great legacy. That's actually a terrible legacy to set for the upcoming generations that you would, you would be known as the one who did not walk in the ways of the Lord, but walked in the way of Jeroboam and uh, in his sin. In fact, I have a list of the kings that God says this about. Here it is. It's Basha, Omri, Ahaziah, Jehoram, Jehu, Jehoaz, Jehoash, Jeroboam II, Zechariah, Menahem, Pekahiah, Pekah, uh, all these kings, it said that they did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of Jeroboam. There's one exception out of all the kings of the northern kingdom, and that's for Ahab. And of course, we, we're probably more familiar with Ahab because we know that uh, Jezebel, the, the queen, and Elijah during that time. And with them, what it says, with Ahab, it says, that he was noted as worse than Jeroboam in 1 Kings 16, verse 30. So Ahab is told he was worse than Jeroboam. So Jeroboam is a terrible standard for Israel. And, uh, and the rest of the kings, he's, he just sets the pattern for everyone to sin. And we'll see the same thing with Rehoboam. Um, okay, I don't have my shot clock up on the back there, so i got to keep it going here. All right, chapter 14, verse 1. At that time, Abijah, the son of Jeroboam, became sick, and Jeroboam said to his wife, please arise and disguise yourself that they may not recognize you as the wife of Jeroboam, and go to Shiloh. Indeed, Ahijah, the prophet, is there who told me that I would be king over this people. Also take with you ten loaves, some cakes, and a jar of honey, and go to him. He will tell you what will become of the child. And Jeroboam's wife did so. She arose and went to Shiloh and came to the house of Ahijah. Uh, but Ahijah could not see, for his eyes were glazed by the reason of his age. Now, Jeroboam is doing what many people do. I got a terrible problem. My child is sick. He's dying. I'm sick. I'm dying. Where do I need to go? I need to get to church. I need to get to the prophet of God. I need to get to the one who can tell me what, what the future holds for this situation. I need some peace about it. So many people in that time of trial run to the house of the Lord, run to the prophet of God, run to the pastor, priest, whoever you want to say, and and they're saying, intercede on my behalf, pray for me. Interesting that Jeroboam has not repented, that he's not turned to the Lord, he hasn't considered this at all, but he knows a prophet of God who told him that he would be king, also told him what would happen if he turned away from God, and he says to his wife, all right, this prophet can see into the spiritual realm. This prophet can hear from God. So I want you to disguise yourself so no one knows who you are. Wait a minute. Does, does that make sense to you? That, that you're going to a guy who can tell you the future, who knows what's going on, and you're going to try to deceive that person and hide from him and cover yourself so he doesn't know who you are? It doesn't make sense. Neither do people when they're just walking in their sin. 
They don't make sense. He's treating the prophet of God like it's a magic eight ball or, or some uh, seer uh, of the occult. Well, this is what happened. Verse 5. Now the Lord said to Ahijah, here is the wife of Jeroboam coming to ask you something about her son. For he is sick, sick. Thus and thus you shall say to her, for it will be when she comes in that she will pretend to be another woman. Verse 6. And so it was when Ahijah heard the sound of her footsteps, as she came through the door, he said, come in, wife of Jeroboam. The gig is up, right? <laughs> Why do you pretend to be another person? For I have been sent to you with bad news. Now, isn't it interesting that the blind prophet uh, not only calls her in uh, and she seemingly came to him, but he says, I've been sent to you with bad news. Um, because God has a message. And whether, whether you end up in the same place as the prophet or the prophet's coming to you, the, it, it's God delivering a message to you. And, uh, and so that's, uh, we see this prophet saying, I have bad news for you. Verse 7, no, she, she's not even asking what the result will be. He's just telling. Go tell Jeroboam, thus says the Lord God of Israel, because I exalted you from among the people, made you ruler over my people, Israel, and tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you. And yet you have not been as my servant David, who kept my commandments and who followed me with all his heart. To do only what was right in my eyes. But you have done more evil than all who were before you. For you have gone, made for yourself other gods and molded images to provoke me to anger. And have cast me behind your back. And I'm going to pause there before we get to the therefore. So the prophet, speaking on behalf of the Lord, is laying out all the charges against Jeroboam. And his wife is there receiving it. Well, as the prophet speaks about this, notice that he reminds, uh, the, the message is to remind Jeroboam about his calling, about God's promises, but also to compare him to God's servant, David. Now, we always look at David and we go, well, wait a minute, hold on. David kept my commandments and followed me with all his heart? Really? What? Wait a minute. I, aren't there a couple times there where we saw David suffer judgment because of the fact that he had done wrong in the eyes of the Lord, like for instance, Bathsheba or taking the senses, those things that David had done. This is the wonderful part. David repented of his sins. David always repented when he was called to it. And God forgave David. And, and for, as for, regarding God's view of David, David was faithful and did all that he commanded. Now, just think about for you, you, as you walk with the Lord and you walk with Jesus Christ, when God sees you, he doesn't see a sinner. He sees a child. He sees an individual washed by the blood of the lamb whose sin has, whose propitiation has been paid for by Jesus Christ. Propitiation is a great word. It means atonement. And the idea of propitiation is that God's anger, his wrath, his judgment is appeased through the sacrifice. More than that, Jesus Christ was also the expiation for our sin, which is the actual removal of sin. So when God sees you, yeah, you might feel that, man, I'm a failure. Man, I messed this up. No, listen, you turn back to the Lord. You return to him. You repent of your sin. 
and, and, and understand that God is going to see you just like David as one who kept his commandments and followed him with all his hearts. And you say, well, wait a minute, that's, I feel unworthy of that. Well, you are. Well, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't feel like I've done enough. Well, you haven't. It's because of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is worthy. He's done it. He's paid the price for you. So just get the idea of atoning for yourself out of your mind or paying some sort of penance out of your head. I know the Catholic Church loves to teach a doctrine of purgatory. And purgatory is this idea that uh, you go there because you haven't quite paid enough penance for, for the sin. You, you still need some more work done in between heaven and, and, and this life. And let me tell you, if that is the case, then Jesus Christ's death wasn't good enough. And do you want to stand before God and tell him that, hey, sorry, your son wasn't good enough. I perfected his work. No, <laughs> you can't do that. So Jesus has done it for you. So just like David who, who followed all his commands, we have the same standing before God. All right, let's get to the therefore. Verse 10, therefore, behold, I will bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam and will, here it goes, cut off from Jeroboam every male in Israel. Now, every male in Israel, literally in the Hebrew, this is where it gets fun to do Hebrew, it means he who urinates against the wall. That's, that, that's where Hebrew gets fun. There you go. Anyway, and, and, and who is that? Well, it's a male, okay? That's, that, there, there you go. So uh, uh, I will eliminate every male in Israel. Um, sorry, I got lost my place here. We'll cut off from Jeroboam every male in Israel, bond and free. I will take away the remem- uh, remnant of the house of Jeroboam as one takes away refuse until it is all gone. The dog shall eat whoever belongs to Jeroboam and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field. For the Lord has spoken. Arise, therefore, go to your own house. When your feet enter the city, the child shall die, and all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him. For he is the only one of Jeroboam who shall come to the grave, because in him there is found something good toward the Lord God of Israel in the house of Jeroboam. So there's a pro- this prophecy given to Jeroboam is both... Soon and far. In this prophecy, as God warns that he will take away the remnant of the house of Jeroboam as one takes away refuse, and he will remove them from the area, we're going to see that happen uh, soon. And, and actually, we're going to get to that here in verse, uh, coming up here in just a couple of verses. Uh, that, that's going to come with Babylon. Uh, sorry, later. But Currently, what's going to happen soon to prove that this message is from God, Jeroboam's son's going to die. And we're going to see in just a little while that God's going to destroy uh, in, in one king from, from Israel, God's going to destroy all of Jeroboam's household. Uh, the next coming king in Israel is going to destroy everybody, and Jeroboam's going to be wiped out. So verse 14 is, moreover, the Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel, shall cut off the house of Jeroboam. This is the day, what? Even now, for the Lord will strike Israel as a reed is shaken in the water. Now, here's the verse about Babylon. He will, oh, sorry, not Babylon, the, Assyr- the Syrians. Uh, he will uproot Israel from this good land which he gave to their fathers and will scatter them beyond the river. 
because they have made their wooden images provoking the Lord to anger. And he will give Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam, who sinned and who made Israel sin. So I'm going to stop there for a minute. So 1 Kings 15, 28, that's where we see part of this prophecy fulfilled. It says, 1 Kings 15, Basha killed him in the third year of Asa, king of Judah, and reigned in his place. And it was so when he became king that he killed all the house of Jeroboam. He did not leave to Jeroboam anyone that breathed until he had destroyed him according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken by his servant Ahijah the Sholonite. So this is where it's going to come to pass, this prophecy. Of course, we'll get there later on. Uh, and we're going to see that it, with, with kings, we're going to go back and forth between Israel and Judah. We're just going to go back and forth uh, as we get. Now, it's also important that you recognize that Chronicles gives us a little more details uh, when it comes to these kings. So you can get a little more. We just don't have time on Sunday nights to get into Chronicles. Let me finish up Jeroboam, and then we'll close. Then Jeroboam's wife arose and departed and came to Tirzah. When she came to the threshold of the house, the child died, and they buried him. And all Israel mourned for him according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through his servant Ahijah the prophet. Verse 19, now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam, how he made war and how he reigned, indeed they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel. The period that Jeroboam reigned was 22 years, so he rested with his fathers, then Nadab, his son, reigned in his place. And we're going to see Nadab is the one who's uh, killed by Basha. But First Chronicles, sorry, Second Chronicles 13 says this about Jeroboam, Second Chronicles 13 verse uh, Oh, I added some more verses. That's fine. We'll just go from here. And when Judah looked around to their surprise, the battle line was at both front and rear, and they cried out to the Lord. Oh, uh, you know what? No, this isn't right. Second Chronicles 13, verse 20. Let's just skip over to 20. This is going to talk about the 500,000 500, that were killed. So, verse 20 says, So Jeroboam did not recover strength again in the days of Abijah. And the Lord struck him, and he died. So first, first Kings kind of gives us this idea that Jeroboam just kind of rested with his father, just this peaceful death. But Chronicles tells us, nope, the Lord struck him, and he died. It wasn't this peaceful thing. He, he uh, was struck down dead, and he also lost a lot of men of Israel because of his sin and his rebellion. So you can look to that chapter in Second Chronicles if you want to do a little more study. Now, what makes a man reject a, a word from God. Uh, you, you would think that if someone, if, if God sent a prophet to you today or God spoke to you through an angel, you might be obedient to him. You might choose to say, oh, I should listen to God. <laughs> God has sent you his word. He's given, you, he's given you everything you need for life and godliness. There's nothing lacking. Uh, that We know that all Scripture is God-breathed and is sufficient for training in righteousness and correcting the, the, the person of God that they might be faithful to do all things so uh, that God has called them to. The, God's Word is sufficient. The problem is the heart of man, that he wants to choose to reject God's truths and just do what he wants to do. I want to challenge you not to be that, that individual. Be one who draws close to God. One of the things that you're going to see about the kings of Israel is the big difference between David, the one who obeyed God's commands, the one who's called my servant David, uh, and Jeroboam, and Rehoboam, and Solomon, 
is David had a relationship with his creator. David worshiped his creator, wrote these wonderful psalms, had an incredible prayer life. Uh, Of course, we've read all that. He was called the great psalmist of Israel. We we see that, that Solomon had a weak relationship with his creator. Rehoboam had zero relationship, and same with Jeroboam. They all chose to do what they wanted to do. The key to having a heart that's sensitive to the Lord is walking with him, having a relationship with him, and listening to him. All right, let's pray. Jason knows the sign when I close my Bible. So, (laughs) Lord, we thank you so much for this evening. We thank you for your word. And, uh, Lord, let us have hearts that are sensitive to your word. God, it's disturbing to see how a prophet could be so quickly turned to reject your word and believe a lie, and how much more even us, Lord. So God, we ask that you would help us to be mindful, that we might worship you in in all things, that we might be faithful to you, And, and Lord, let us be sensitive to the leading of your Holy Spirit and not grieve your spirit. We thank you and we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to thank you guys all for joining us tonight. And uh, I, I, it kind of seems like today in the, the world, each week you're like, oh, man, I need church because there's so much stuff going on. And uh, all these things to say, all these groanings that we're seeing, it's all in preparation for the coming of the Lord. And that's going to be a great thing. But until that day, we want to honor him. And so I want to leave you with this blessing from Thessalonians. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.